0: So there are many times in life that we're lacking the money to purchase certain things that are really necessities. Some things we deem necessities until things really happen that we realize what the necessities are. And in those moments when we don't have enough money to take care of some of those needs, we might have a credit card that we use. And if you're like me, over time, I've become reluctant to use a credit card because I know what that means, that if I don't pay it off at the end of the month, it's going to accumulate over time and become a worse problem for me in the future. But sometimes these needs arise, and the credit card is sometimes the means we use to help us through that, that difficult moment. For more, expen- for more expensive items like a home or a car, it's likely that most of us uh, would purchase those things by getting a loan. We'd go to a lending institution and, and try to secure a loan to pay for those items. Most of us don't have the money, the cash money to put down in a house, and although some of you may have the cash money to put down in a car, most of us don't have that either. And so these these are things on the on the on the road of life that we end up purchasing typically on time. And if you go to buy a car or you go to buy a home, especially a home, uh, there are, there are lots of documents you get to sign. Who's ever purchased a home? And so, and so when I purchased a car before, I think it was like a page, maybe two pages of, of signing, I recall. But anytime I've purchased a home, it's been seemingly page after page after page after page of the wherefores and the what-fors and the, all, these, all these things I have to sign for. When the two parties, the lending institution and the, and the borrower, come to an agreement, papers are signed, and typically for a home or a car, the terms and conditions of the loan last for a period of time, typically many years, unless you actually negotiate something different. The standard home loan is about 30 years. For cars now, I think it's up to seven years, and that's a period of time, and so when you engage in these practices and, and you tie up your money that way, it can, it can tend to put a crimp in, in your lifestyle. These bills have to be paid. If you don't pay the house bill after a period of time, you don't pay the car bill after a period of time, then uh, you will be contacted about the fact that you have not made these payments. And it starts out, maybe our letter's passed in the mail. <laughs> maybe you sent your payment in, and so if you have, disregard this. But if you haven't, just, just to, to remind you, you have a payment that's due, and the next one's due at this time as well. So try to coax you along to make your payments. If you decide to forego making the payment, then you get another letter and another letter, and they and they typically come more often, and the contents of the letter becomes more serious as well. Past due, past due. If you don't give attention to this, we're going to turn you over to a collection agency. Final notice. No, really, this is the final notice. And we don't want to find those, ourselves in those situations, and I wouldn't ask you to raise your hand there, but we at least uh, either know somebody who's been in that situation, or perhaps we've seen uh, that kind of documentation before. That got me to thinking about debt and loans and, and how easy it is to fall into debt. And it got me to thinking about doctor's offices or dentist's offices in particular, where it's uh, the sign I've seen many times, perhaps you have too, which says, payment due at the time services are rendered. Anybody ever notice that in a doctor's office or dentist's office? Payment due at the time services are rendered. Meaning, if you actually come in here and we work on you, we expect you actually to pay for the services we provided. If we gave you a filling in your tooth, we expect you to pay for that. If you came in and we, we t- sent you to the doctor and then you had a, a the hospital and you had an appendectomy, we'd like you to pay for that. Many years ago when our daughter was born, we neither had the funds nor the insurance to pay the medical bills. It was, we were young. It was one of those moments in time before we had any insurance. It took us five years, five years to make the final payment. So we finally got the title to our daughter at five years of age, and uh, she's finally ours. And so that was a day of celebration, a great moment in time. But certain things in life, they, they put a cramp on our style. And if we incur a lot of debt and it continues to accumulate, it tends to really burden us down. And we, get, we can get to that place of hopelessness, actually. How am I ever going to get out of this situation? How am I ever going to recover from this? And so that reminds me of a parable in Matthew chapter 18 that Jesus shared. Matthew chapter 18 beginning in verse 23. There once was a king who had servants who had borrowed money from the royal treasury. He decided to settle accounts with each of them. As he began the process, it came to his attention that one of his servants owed a huge sum to him. What a laborer might make in 500 lifetimes. We're talking about a great deal of money here. So he summoned the servant before him and said to him, pay me what you owe me. When his servant was unable to repay his debt, the king ordered that he be sold as a slave along with his wife and children and every possession they owned as payment toward his debt. Now in the modern era, I don't know how, how bankruptcy works, but when I was a little fellow, one of my brothers ended up being diagnosed with encephalitis in that same period of time, I ended up uh, breaking my femur and being in the hospital for a great period of time, actually. And those bills, along with other things, just, just crushed my parents' finances. They were not wealthy people to begin with. Money was tight in my home. A common thing for my father to say to us if we asked him for money, you, you, your kid's a nickel and dime me to death. Uh, and all we wanted was a nickel or a dime. There was not a lot of money. These two events in particular, which created massive medical bills... Put them in a position where they could not pay off the debt. The debt was beyond their ability to pay. It was, they owed much more than they could ever pay back. My parents were workers. They were laborers. They were hard workers. They didn't believe in no reason in somebody else's pocket to take the money out. They believed in paying their own bills. But this was different. And I remember it to this day when men showed up at our house with a truck. My parents let them in, and they started removing things from the house. Because if the creditors could not have their money back, they wanted to take the property inside the house that they could potentially sell and at least get some money back. I remember my, my parents had this nice Magnavox stereo with a wooden cabinet and all that. They just carted that off. They carted off lots of things in that house that day. And so we're talking about Resurrection Sunday and what is it all about? It's about a debt that was paid. And here is a situation in my life where my parents... Uh, incurred a debt that they could not pay. It was beyond their ability to pay. And nobody came along and said, got you covered, don't worry about it. Their property was removed. The only thing they did wisely is they had their house homesteaded so that it could not be taken away from them too. So we, we were left with the house. It was fairly empty after that moment in time. This is a problem with sin as well. Sin becomes an insurmountable debt as well. Every time you sin, a charge is added to your account, and the devil makes it easy. Just like swiping your card or now, you can just pull out your phone, right? little Apple Pay. You don't have to, you don't have to do anything. Just push your little button next to the machine, to ching and it takes out the money. And unless you actually pay attention to your account, you're none the Your Money just left your account. It was all electronic. The devil subtly gets us in that realm where it's just, it's just this much that was put on your account. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. But over time, there's a debt that accumulates... And that debt is accounted to you and to me. A wave of bills come in, the, come in the mail. Doing what? Demanding payment. Somewhere along the way, there's payment due. Sin is not a free ride. There's payment due. You rode the ride, you owe the money. You try to appease your creditor. Perhaps some of you have done this at time. Listen, there's not enough money to go around here. And so you hope that when you send in a payment of some sort to the creditor, that perhaps they'll back off a tiny bit. They wanted $50, you sent 25 and you hope that'll hold them over till the next time around. You're hoping that you'll find a way to maybe to have some more money during the next cycle that you can repay the shortfall this month and pay what you owe next month. Now, we make payments back, try to pay for our, our sin, and they're meager payments. They're things that actually don't have any impact on the debt. We might call these good deeds. You you gave money to a charitable contribution. You bought groceries for your elderly neighbor who is no longer mobile, can't get around. You helped out to the local soup kitchen, serving people who are less fortunate. You gave money to that man holding the sign at the side of the road. You read through your Bible in a year. And all these things in and of themselves have a place. In terms of paying off the debt of sin, they don't put a dent in it. The debt that we owe because of sin is way beyond our ability to pay, and it cannot be paid with good works, good deeds, good actions, good intentions. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The penalty for sin is death. In other words, we accumulate all this debt throughout our life and get to the end, and these accounts still have to be settled. You either have to settle the account yourself, I have to settle the account myself, or somebody settles it for me. Somebody made arrangements on my behalf. The Bible says at the end of our lives, there's an accounting that will take place where the books are open, and what's this ledger say? Payment due or paid in full? Payment due on this sin that was committed throughout a lifetime or paid in full? The debt has been satisfied and canceled. Hebrews chapter 9 Verse 22 says, under the law, almost everything is purified by means of blood. By means of what? Blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is neither release from sin and its guilt, nor the remission of the due and merited punishment for sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is neither release from sin and its guilt, nor the remission of the due and merited punishment for sin. So this accounting takes place, and in that accounting... This payment that is required is one of blood. And in the modern era, there are many people who don't want to talk about the blood anymore, but the blood of Jesus is so precious. The blood of Jesus is so important. The blood of Jesus is central to Christianity. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no forgiveness. So again, we come to the end, and it's either we give our life or somebody else was a substitute in our place and gave his life. Those of us who are born again, those of us who accepted Christ as our Savior, we know uh, of the substitutionary nature of what Jesus did for us. Even if we know that, we should at least meditate on the fact that, wait a minute, it was, it was him or me. And aren't you grateful that it was him? Yes, because of his blood, the debt of my sin was paid. Because of his sacrifice, I don't have to give my life because of what he did. And so when we sing forever he is glorified, forever he is lifted high, there are some reasons right there. We're talking about debt, debt that's incurred, natural debt we face sometimes. And in this country, in many states, we have what we call bankruptcy that can be filed, and there's means by which the court system can determine and settle, settle, help you settle your accounts. But when it comes to the kingdom of God and our interaction with how he's arranged things, how the account has been set up, the conditions of the contract, which is called, there are two contracts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. They're contracts. They're covenants. They're papers and documents that were signed. And it says the new one is better than the old one. It has better promises in it. But there is an accounting that takes place. And so we have to think about these penalties and what do they look like. And so that takes me to John chapter 19. This takes me to the crucifixion. This takes me to Jesus' death on the cross. This takes me to the moments where he goes before Pilate. He's already been arrested. He's already been taken into custody. John chapter 19, in verse number 1, Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. This wasn't like just having a belt taken to you. This flogging was was very serious, very intense, and beyond just a belt. It, It was a device that was torturous, to say the least. Verse 2, the soldiers twisted together a, of corns, a, a, of corns, a, a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And this crown of thorns was not your mother's rose bush, even though they hurt too. The spikes on this plant were long, and they were stiff, and they were unforgiving. And they fashioned a crown out of it, and they put it on his head. Not that they put it on, but they, they made sure it was wedged in, onto his head. What Jesus did is is so important, and and these thorns, could you imagine what that's like? And my answer is no, and I don't want to imagine, quite frankly. It said they clothed him in a purple robe. Okay, so realize this. He's already been filleted. He's been beaten. His back is torn open. His body is broken and and torn open. And the last thing you want is somebody putting something on you in those open wounds. That's just insult to injury. I heard already, and now you're making it more painful for me. So they put a robe on him because now they're mocking him. They're mocking him as this king that he said he was. You want a king? You think you're a king? Here's a robe for you. And went up to him again and again saying, Hail, king of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. Slapped him in the face. Verse 4, once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. And when Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. These religious leaders were on a mission they would not be interfered with. They wanted their kind of justice, and they were intending to get it. Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. Somewhere along the way, I think Pilate starts coming to this realization, I think, I think this might really be the Son of God. And now he's getting scared, as any reasonable person would be, like, uh, uh-oh, I've got an innocent man here they want me to kill. And so he tells him, you, you take him, because I don't find anything wrong with this man. Skipping down to verse 15, but they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. And Pilate said, shall I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar. These are chief priests you imagine that? These are religious leaders who now are declaring openly where their alliances and their allegiances lie. It's with Rome. Our allegiance is with Rome. It's not to the God of the universe, the God of all creation. Our allegiance is to Rome itself. Verse 16, finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. Verse 28, later, knowing that everything had now been finished, so now this is Jesus, he's on the cross. He's been nailed to the cross. The cross has been erected. And he's near death. He's been hanging on the cross for a great period of time, in great agony, struggling to get a breath, struggling to stay alive, because naturally that's what your body wants to do. Verse 28, later, knowing that everything had now been finished so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. And so we sang a song a moment ago, I Needed Rescued, My Sins Were Heavy. And this is what the price price of paying off that debt looks like. I needed rescued, my sins were heavy. That's an upbeat song, but come on, let's, let's just m- meditate on what was taking place. Jesus was beaten, battered, bruised, and broken, humiliated publicly, shamed, treated in a manner that we would, at any turn, <laughs> would say it was, it was unacceptable or intolerable. And we might even have questions, what does it take for a human being to lower themselves to that place to even engage in that kind of barbarism? And who would allow themselves to take that kind of punishment? But that's the Savior of the world. He knew what he was doing. It wasn't a surprise to him. He knew what he was headed for. He had read Isaiah. The chastisement of our peace was, on him was laid, the iniquity of us all. Jesus was not, not unprepared for this moment. He was well prepared for it. And when he entered humanity... He came in a body because he was showing to the world that he could overcome sin. And he did. The devil's dancing. He's got, he's he's got a victory here, uh, whatever this plan that God has was. Uh, and, man, I, got, I foiled it, foiled the plan. Now what's he going to do? I said I was the greatest, and I'm still the greatest, right? So the devil's just spouting his stuff. There was a famous boxer who said that when he won his first heavyweight, heavyweight championship. He was just a young fellow. And he screamed and screamed and screamed. I shook up the world. I shook up the world. And so the devil, I could just imagine him. I shook up the world. Little does he know that in a matter of a few short hours, that his whole world is going to be shaken. His whole world will be turned upside down. That God's plan was executed just as it was designed. That Satan fell for the trap because his wisdom Pales in comparison to that of God's, and He acted in a manner consistent with His nature, and God knew that. So Jesus is on the cross, and He declares, "It is finished," and then He died. It is finished is an important word to look at because uh, it is finished in this verse comes from a Greek word that means check this out it means paid in full. In Jesus saying, it is finished, he is saying the debt of sin owed by all of humanity, past, present, and future, is paid in full. The debt is canceled. The creditor, Satan himself, has no power to try to collect on that debt because it's been paid. Now, he may come along and try to scam you, right? There are all kinds of scams, even the modern era. You may not owe money somewhere, but somebody comes along and tries to persuade you that you should be forfeiting your money to this cause because you, have you ever received those, those phone messages? Hello, we're contacting you because you're such and such account. And I'm thinking, I don't even have an account. I've never had an account with these people. So it's a scam trying to get me to make, to pay a debt that's not even mine. So paid in full. It is finished means what? Paid in full. You no longer owe the debt. I no longer owe the debt. But again, as a side note, do not get yourself in that realm where you allow the devil to try to persuade you into thinking you, you still owe something. Because if you still believe you owe something, you're going to try to make payments on it. This is one of the problems with good works. There's nothing wrong with good works, but if you're using them as a means to pay off the, sin, the debt of sin, that's not the currency that's required. The currency required to pay off the debt of sin is... B-L-O-O-D. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Why did Jesus have to die? For forgiveness. This was the cost, to purchase you back and to purchase me back. That's what the word redeem means, to purchase back. Jesus paid the ultimate price. And so again, the the words, it is finished, from a Greek word, paid in full. Jesus came and finished the work that God had sent him to do which was to pay off the debt owed by you and me and all of the billions of people who have ever lived on this planet. Where one man, Adam, sinned and that penalty was handed down to every human being subsequent, this one man, Jesus, purchased us back by his selfless act of being crucified and giving his life away. In fact, he said, nobody, nobody takes my life away. I lay it down. Now, that's incredible because the Bible says right in that same set of verses, hardly, scarcely, rarely will a person die for a good man. But the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, not good, while we were bad, Christ died. Get the contrast there. You might dare to die for somebody good, but for a no-good, low-down, dirty dog, sinful human being that's never amounted to anything in life. And the Bible says, and such were some of you. And so I receive what Jesus provided for me. I receive what Jesus provided for me. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 12, speaking of Jesus, when this priest had offered the one supreme sacrifice for sin for all time, he sat down on the throne at the right hand of God, waiting until all his whispering enemies are subdued and turned into his footstool. And by his one perfect sacrifice, he made us perfectly holy and complete for all time. For how long? For how long? For how long? All time. Not just till tomorrow morning when you, you know that the effects of this service wear off. Not till the sun goes down on Easter day and you're like, oh, you know, it's getting dark again in my life. Uh. No, no, no. He paid once and for all, all time, and all means all. Verse 15, the Holy Spirit confirms this to us by this, by this scripture, for the Lord says, afterwards, I will give them this covenant. I will embed my laws in their hearts and fasten my word to their thoughts. And then he says, I will not ever remember their sins and lawless deeds. Come on. I mean, he'll never again remember our lawless deeds. When is he going to remember them? Never. Have you ever heard it said, you imagine when you get to heaven, there's going to be a big reel of of your life and all the things you've done? You think that's going to happen? doesn't sound like it. It says he's not going to bring it up. He's not going to remember them. The debt's been paid. Cancelled. It is finished. Paid in full. No other payments required. Nothing on your part that has to be done. I took care of it. It's a done deal. And so it goes on to say in verse 18, so if our sins have been forgiven and forgotten, why would we ever need to offer another sacrifice for sin? See, because prior to this moment, the priests had to go in year after year once every year, the high priest had to enter into what's called the Holy of Holies, or the most holy place. Every year, there had to be a blood offering given for the sins of the people and for himself. And if you read Scripture, it says, these things never were capable of cleansing us from sin. They were just showing us the way to a better promise that God had, but he never took care of the problem of sin. And in this one moment, it says, Jesus, once and for all, he doesn't get sacrificed again and again and again. We don't crucify Jesus again and again and again. He was crucified, buried, and on the reason we celebrate, he was raised from the dead. Paid the price, debt once and for all. He doesn't need to be crucified next Thursday. He doesn't need to be crucified in August. He doesn't need to be crucified again in 2025. It's done. And when the devil comes along and tries to get you to believe that, oh, no, 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 you you crossed the line again. So here's the problem. Look what you've done. He'll show you some scriptures out of context to get you to believe that, you know, you're just, you just need to make, make some atonement again. No. The Bible says to the believer, if we sin, confess your sins to God. He's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. How much unrighteousness? He's he's faithful and just to cleanse you. He said, you go to him, you go to him, you go to him. He'll forgive and he'll cleanse. So back to the story of this debtor I began with in Matthew chapter 18. He had this debt. It was an enormous debt, a debt that would take, In this particular version, saying 500 lifetimes to accrue that kind of debt. That's some serious debt. There's no way that that can be paid off. It's interesting how you can accrue debt in a period of time and you can spend a lifetime trying to pay it off. Sin is that way. This is the beauty of the story. Matthew chapter 18, verse 25. When his servant was unable to repay his debt, the king ordered that he be sold as a slave along with his wife and children and every other possession they owned as payment toward his debt. Verse 26. The servant threw, down, threw himself face down at the master's feet and begged for mercy. Please be patient with me. Just give me more time and I will repay you all that I owe. Upon hearing the, his pleas, the king had compassion on his servant and released him and forgave the entire debt. Forgave the entire debt. This is what God does through Christ Himself He forgives the entire debt. But what is required on your part and my part? us coming to him, making him aware this is a debt beyond our ability to, re- to repay. There's no way we possible that we can provide what's needed, but we heard of Jesus. We, we heard that he paid this debt in full when he said, it is finished. We bring that information to God, say, God, your word says that Jesus paid my debt in full. I'm willing to receive the pardon of my sin. I'm willing to be cleansed from the stain of sin and guilt. I'm willing to receive your free gift of eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Come on, it's a free gift. And so that old system, that old system was a temporary system. It couldn't take care of the problem. All it did was magnify the problem. All it did was year after year after year, yep, yep, you're sinful. That's right. And if you're an Old Testament person, you dwell in the Old Testament, that's how you live your life. Yup, yep, yep. Every, every time something happens, you just remind yourself, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. There are so many saints that I know that call themselves sinners, I'm thinking, you can't be a sinner and a saint. You're a saint or you're an ain't. And so if you're a saint, which most of you are in this room, come on, don't, get, don't let him pull you back down that realm. Jesus paid the price once and for all. The debt's been canceled. And if we sin, we have a mechanism in place to help us get back in right standing with God. It's not labor and toil, good works and good deeds, reading more, praying more, coming to church more helping young people, helping old people, helping people in the middle. It's simply confessing our sins and allowing God to restore us back to that position.